Heavenly Father, I just thank you for, uh, for utterance. I thank you for the anointing. Father, if I mess it up in the saying, please fix it in the hearing. And I thank you for uh, doing that uh, in advance, Father, that individuals will get answers to questions and that you'll speak to people wherever they're at and that they will make course changes in life, not just be challenged, but be changed so that we can walk in victory and experience your perfect will, riches, honor, and life. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, today we're working on It's Really Mine, part five, and I joked this week, part five of 90, because it seems to be getting stretched out, but uh, we're going to take our time. But Rule number seven of the rules of righteousness is this. Righteousness regards the beneficiary or the heir as the real owner. And I'm going to start off by reading the legal definition of heir and inheritance. And while I'm doing that, you guys turn to Titus 3. Titus 3. An heir is anyone who acquires property upon someone's death, which is based upon the rules of descent and distribution. An heir cannot be identified until the person leaving the property dies because the heir apparent may pass away first. Upon adoption, a legally adopted child gains the right to be an heir as if she or he were the natural child of the parents. So you're an heir after somebody else dies, not when you die, when somebody else dies. Okay? Religion has tricked us into thinking that we get our inheritance or we're an heir after we die. Here's inheritance. Inheritance is the money and or the property received upon a relative's death, whether there is an existence of a will or not. So an inheritance is after someone else dies, a relative dies. Not when you die, when somebody else dies. Okay? Now, who was our relative that died and made us an heir? It was Jesus. Right. He died so that we could be heirs. It's not You don't die and then you get it. You got it now. Jesus already died. So Titus 3 is where our jumping off point is in verse 5. It says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. No self-righteousness. You can't build your own equity. Nothing that you can do. Nothing. Say nothing. nothing. You cannot do one thing to get this. You can't do one thing to get your inheritance. Not one thing. So don't try. It says, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified... That means we get a winning sentence under the rules of righteousness, justified. By His grace, we be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we've been talking about this a couple weeks now, that that word life is zoe. It's the life of God. It is not bios. See, if you're a natural man, if you're a plant or an animal, you have bios. That's where we get the study of biology, the study of natural life. Once you become born again, right? What did it say? It said, by His mercy, by what? The washing and regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's getting born again. When, when that happens, the, the God's Spirit mixes with your spirit, you have eternal life right then. Not when you die and get to heaven, you have it now. The second that you accepted Jesus, you get the Zoe life of God, and it's eternal. That word eternal means perpetual. It's instantly and constantly being renewed. And I like to talk about our perpetual gas tank as an illustration, right? It's a gas tank that never goes past full. It's always on full. Wouldn't that be a great deal? Absolutely. God did one better. He made your life perpetual. Your life should always be on full, being instantly and constantly renewed. Instantly and constantly renewed. Look over in um, uh, Romans 8. Romans 8, and um, we'll, we'll back up to verse 8. It says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Or we could say it this way, they that are in bios. See, most people, they only have a realization even after they got born again, they, only, they still live in bios. They live in their natural life. Right? They don't understand that they have Zoe. A lot of people in mainline denominations never even heard of it. 
Never even heard that they had life. They thought they got eternal life when they got to heaven. Not right now. They didn't know they had the life of God on the inside of them. Okay, it says, but you are not in verse 9 in the flesh, but in the spirit. If that has that spirit is capitalized in your Bible, make that a small s. It's talking about your spirit, not the Holy Spirit. It's your, well, how, why would you say that, Andrew? Because then it says the very next thing. It says, if so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Well, I wouldn't say the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit dwell in you. Why would he say that? I mean, Paul didn't stutter, right? And, and the Spirit can't be in the Spirit. There's not two Holy Spirits. There's only one. So he's got to be talking about your individual spirit. Here's a hint. Every time you see the flesh in the Bible and then it follows up with the Spirit, it's talking about your flesh and your spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they translate it with a capital S, but if you see any words talking about flesh or spirit, it's your spirit and your flesh. Because those are the two things. Because your flesh is your bios and your spirit, we're going to see right now, is your zoe. Because keep reading. It says, uh, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And in verse 10 it says this, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Your bios is dead. You should be dead to your bios. Your bios is not keeping you. Not your heart is pumping is keeping you alive anymore. It's not your lungs sucking in air and blowing it out that's keeping you alive anymore. It's already dead because of sin. And sin is nothing more than what? Settling. Settling. That's all the original sin was. Adam and Eve settled for less than God's perfect will. That's what it was. They settled less. They settled. Boy, and, they, and then what happened? Their body died. Now they're in bios. Then look what it says. But the spirit, small s, put that small s in your Bible, your spirit is life, is zoe, because of righteousness. So where does zoe come from? Because of what? And what's righteousness? Equity with God. We've been studying that for weeks. So riches, honor, and life, equity with God, that's where your zoe comes from. That's what's talking about being born again. Flip over to Romans 10.10. 10. It says this, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's getting born again. When you Because where does zoe come from? Because of what? Righteousness, right? We just saw that in, in a couple pages back. And now, like it says, because you believe with your heart unto righteousness. That's getting born again. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I want to take, there's, mm, Father, help me to explain this one. Salvation is, a, is totally different than being born again. Being born again is totally different than being saved. It's two different things. Flip over to John 3, I'll show you. Who cares what I say? Let's find out what Jesus said about it. Hold your finger in Romans because we'll be coming right back there in a minute. Man, we're off the reservation now. Chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles except thou doest them and God be with him. Then Jesus answered. He answered. Did this guy ask a question? No, he just said, you're a great teacher from God. Nobody can do these miracles except you be by God. So Jesus is going to answer. He didn't even ask a question, did he? Look what Jesus answered. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And no one had ever heard this before because it wasn't available. Then look what happened. Nicodemus said, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This guy was no dummy. This guy was a lawyer. He was a Pharisee. He's got doctorate's degrees and jurist doctorates and jurisprudence. And I mean, you know, Ken Starr got nothing on this guy. Okay? He's a, he's a legal, brilliant mind. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said you must be born again. 
John 3.16. Let's go down to it. Everybody knows this verse, right? It says this, or let's go to 15. Back up. It says, Whosoever believeth in Him, talking about the Son of Man or Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. Perpetual zoe. Perpetual zoe. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him should not perish but have everlasting zoe. So how do you get zoe? By believing on Jesus. Did it say anything about confessing or getting saved? He's talking about being born again. How do you get the life of God on the inside of you? How do you get zoe? Right? Put that over to um, Romans 10.10. Just so you, uh, you know I'm not making this up. Because in Romans 10.10, he told us two things. You believe unto righteousness, which we know is where Zoe came from. But you, with your mouth, you confess unto salvation. Isn't that right? Let's keep reading. It says in verse 11, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Do you know any people that are saved that are ashamed? That don't walk in victory. Does something happen to somebody who's saved that's ashamed? You betcha. He said, but when you have Zoe and you understand Zoe, you won't be ashamed. Why? Because you're going to be living God's perfect will all the time. Riches, honor, and life. You won't be ashamed. And we were talking about that last week. That your spirit will judge all things right from wrong. And then what? No man will judge you. Well, if somebody's saying that's a shame, that's somebody judging you. That you're ashamed. That's what this is talking about. So we don't even understand. But let me ask. Uh, all right, here we go. Has everybody in this room been born? Nobody was hatched, right? There's only two human beings that weren't born. That's Adam and Eve. Everybody else was born. No matter what you do in life, can you ever be unborn? Can you not be born anymore? Right? Well, you can't, right? And and my my son Drew and my son Jack, no no matter what they do, will they always be my sons? No matter what they do. How about you? Will you always be uh, your mom and daddy's little girl, sure? No matter what you do, you'll still be their daughter. Can you ever be undaughter? Can they ever be unsons? Can they be unborn? No. And Jesus just said, whoever's born of the flesh is flesh, whoever's born of the Spirit is spirit. He said it's the exact same process. So, so if you've been born of the Spirit, he said you're born again, but he also said you're born of the Spirit. He used these two terms of the same way. Just like you're born of the flesh, you can't be unborn. If you're born of the Spirit, can you be unborn? Can you ever be unborn once you're born? He said the flesh and the Spirit, it's the same thing. Jesus said it, not me. And, you, and then he said in John, 1 John 3, we saw this last week, that you're uh, the sons of God. Isn't that right? Behold what manner of love... The Father hath that He bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Can you ever stop being the Son of God? No matter what you do. You can't be unborn again. You can't be unborn of the Spirit. And you can never stop being the Son of God. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're still a son. Same privileges. So what's all these questions about eternal security? You can't ever be unborn. Right? Let me ask you this question. Because, uh, well, let's back Romans, uh, where are we at? 10? Let's back up to Romans 9. 10, 10 verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now we're talking about saved. Was there anybody ever, anybody ever get saved without being born again? Was there anybody ever saved without getting born again? No? Think about it. Now what do we, uh, here's what, I've been brought up in um, mainline, I'm Baptist boy, okay? So I don't know about any other denomination really. I mean, I've been to them, but I don't know all the inner workings. But I know about Baptists. And this is what they say. This is how they get you. We're going to get folks saved. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? And where are they trying to get you saved from? No. See, the word saved means physically rescued. That's the, that, that's the best one you can get rescued from is hell. Does that have anything to do with being born again? Does anybody ever get saved and not be born again? Yeah. All the Old Testament saints, not a single one of them was born again, but they were saved from hell. 
You know what they were doing to walk out their salvation? The Ten Commandments. All they had was the law. Look over in Galatians. Look, Abraham. We'll just take Abraham, right? He was the guy that started it all. Look in Galatians 3. It says, nothing to do with what I was going to talk about today. How did I get up? Back up to verse 6. 3 and verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or accredited to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that you are of the, which are of the faith of the same of the children of Abraham. As the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or make righteous the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. He preached the gospel to Abraham before Jesus ever came. But what did that verse say in Romans 10? It says if you believe in your heart, right? And, that Jesus, you know, and then say with your mouth, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Did Abraham say that? Sure he did. Look over in Luke. Luke chapter 16. Here's a story. If you've been brought up in church, you know this. It's called the rich man and Lazarus. This is an actual story. It actually happened. Abraham was, and all the Old Testament saints, they were going to get saved by obeying God. Saved from what? Saved from hell? Did they go to hell? Nope. They went to a place called paradise. And we're going to see in this story, it was right across the street from hell. Because hell's in the center of the earth. Paradise is right across the street. Well, across the Grand Canyon. Let's read in verse 19. 16, 19 of Luke. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Fat cat. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate and full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. That's a bad health care plan, y'all. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, these guys were saved, but they were not born again. They did not have the Zoe life of God. They couldn't because they could, it wasn't available until Jesus died and rose from the dead. They, their spirit didn't mix with God's spirit. They didn't have the anointing. They had none of that. Remember, three guys had the anointing. The Holy Spirit came on them, the king, the priest, and the prophet, but they weren't born again. They didn't have the life of God on the inside of them. They were in, in bios. The only way they could get saved was by doing their checklists. Most people nowadays... Their salvation is it. They have no idea about the Zoe life of God. They're still trying to work out their salvation doing their checklist. Salvation is a byproduct of being born again. It's a lower level. When you're born again, you're automatically saved. You're trying to get saved and you don't understand the Zoe and you're still trying to work it out in bios, you will never ever win in life. It's a lower level. You are trying to, oh, I'm saved. I don't care if you're saved. And I've been saying this for years. I want to know if somebody's born again or not. Because if you're born again, that means you've got the Spirit of God on the inside of them and we're brothers. If you're just saved, you're saved from what? Saved from hell? Great. Now you know what? That's, but you're not even, we don't have to deal with that one today, do we? What I have to deal with today is sick. Am I sick? Do I need to be saved from being sick? What about poverty? I need my bills paid. I need to be saved from lack. So once saved, always saved? Nope, I'm saved from hell. Listen, I was a lifeguard out in um, Hawaii on the North Shore, and some guy from Michigan would come out there and not understand the rip currents, right? Think he's in the Great Lakes. I'd have to go in and save him. I'd have to physically, was he always saved? Not unless he got his mind renewed and learned how to swim and how the rip currents worked. If he didn't learn how to swim, he'd get right back in there. I'd have to go save him again. Being saved is completely different than being born again. We've been, we've been, man, and I'll tell you what, mainline denominations, we're all about being saved. I never even heard of Zoe life of God or being born again. No wonder you can't walk in victory. No wonder you can't get uh, victory over addiction, whatever it is. No wonder you can't get victory over bad relationships. You can't get victory over having not getting your bills paid. Zoe, life of God. Completely different than and people who are saved are working in bios. Look over in um, James 1. 
I don't know if this is helping anybody, but it's helping me. It had nothing to man. All right, Lord, whatever. James 1.19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Who's he talking to? Is he talking to born-again people? Sure, they're in the family. They're, he says, my beloved brethren. See, they obviously have to be in the family. They've got to have the life of God if they're all brothers. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man promotes not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. How do you get your soul saved? By receiving with a teachable spirit the word of God. You ever been, we got, oh, we had an evangelistic meeting and 50 souls came down and got saved. We saved 50 souls. No, you didn't. That's a lie. You can't get your soul saved by praying. You got people born again and they got a new, their spirit was completely new. Listen, we say in 2 Corinthians 5, what is it, 17? It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new species of being. Old things are passed away and all things become new. Anybody ever get saved and you came in in a Yugo and you went out in the parking lot and you got saved and now your car's a Lexus? Did that happen to anybody? Well, then, it can't be talking about physical things. Did anybody, when you got saved, came in, couldn't barely balance your checkbook, but after you got saved, now all of a sudden you can do Pythagoras' theorem? Did that happen to anybody? It can't be talking about mental things. What's all things that are new? All your spirit. Your spirit's a new species of being. Why? Because you have the Zoe life of God on the inside of you now. Now he's talking about saving your soul. You know what that word soul is? Psyche in the Greek. That's your mind. That's your intellect. Look, your brain is your hardware. Your psyche is the software. Your mind's the software. How do you get that? He said, save your soul. What it said in Romans 12, he said, renew your mind or renew your soul. How? By receiving the Word with a teachable spirit. And the very next thing he says is what? Be doers of the Word, not hearers only. How do you save your soul? Being a doer, not a hearer only. Taking the Word in. Renewing your mind. Remember in that same verse where it said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it said that when you renew your mind, what? Then you can prove out that perfect, acceptable, and good will of God. Good, acceptable, and perfect. But what's our target? Perfect will, then good, then acceptable. Perfect will. How? By saving your soul. How do you save your soul? By getting in the Word. You ain't saved when you get born again. The only thing you're saved from is hell because when you confess that Jesus is Lord, that was your fire insurance. See, we are in, in Christianity, we're like, well, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance. Bless God. Have no idea that they're born again. Not a single solitary clue. And then look over in Philippians 2. And we'll finish this out. Well, I skipped a whole bunch that I could have gone through and let you know how those people in Abraham's bosom got born again. What it says, Jesus said, when he died on the cross, he went into hell and he beat up the devil. And he bonded against death, hell, and the grave. And then when Jesus was raised again, He went across the street into Abraham's bosom. And it says in Peter that He preached the gospel under the spirits that were in prison. And then in Ephesians it says that He took His captivity captive and ascended to heaven. Those guys got born again when Jesus went and preached the gospel to them when He got raised from the dead. Can you get born again? Yeah, but you know what? They didn't have their body. All they were were spirits at that point. They were saved from hell. They just couldn't go to heaven and enjoy the Zoe life of God till Jesus came and preached the gospel to them. I mean, no, no one was hanging around down there. No, you know what, Jesus, I'll wait for the next car. No, I, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I just don't feel a release to leave here yet. Okay, you stay here. I'll see you later. The rest of you, come on. The last guy on the planet that ever was saved and not born again was the thief on the cross. When Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise, and then I'm going to tell you something good. 
See, in paradise. And it says, when those people got, when those people were born again and they started going back up to heaven, it says the ones that just died, they went back in their bodies and went and told Aunt Susie, Hey, how's it going? I just got born again. Wouldn't that freak you out? Yeah. Guys down at the morgue at CSI be freaking out. They put it on the table doing the cutting and the saw, and the guy stands up and goes, Jesus just told me how to get born again. Let me tell you something. How you do? Poof. Right? That's what happened. That's when they got born again. Just uh, throw that. I don't know. You know, does that answer a question about, well, how'd, that, how'd they get out of that? Anyway. Philippians 2, in verse 12, he says this, Wherefore, my beloved... Who's he talking to? Is this born-again people? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He says, As you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. These are people that are doing the right thing all the time. They're born again and they always obey. Not only when he's there, but when he's not looking. Can you get any better than that? Always obey. These are, these are quality Christians. They're walking in everything that they should be walking in, right? Then look at the next thing he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What? I, what? These people, if these guys can't be saved, who can be? Why would they have to work out their own salvation? Now, when we saw this a while, when God created the heavens and the earth, remember how did He do His work with His, with His words? Remember when we said on the seventh day God rested and what did He do? He shut His mouth. Okay, so our works, God's works were His words. So we could say this, and our works, should, because we should have the God kind of faith. Do you remember that? Our works are our words. So we could put it this way. Word out your own salvation. Because remember in Romans 10.10 it said, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation. And see that word where it says with? I looked that up in the Greek. because You know what? Fear don't come from God. He said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and sound mind. He said, the opposite of fear is faith. And I'm a faith God. So how could you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? That ain't in faith. You ain't working nothing out. Is that word with? It's a Greek word amid or among or in the middle of. He said word out or work out, word out your salvation, your own salvation. He says your own. Don't you be going around worrying about somebody else's. You work out your own. Word out your own. Don't be, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. Man, just mind your own business and worry about what you're saying. Just word out your own salvation in the middle of fear and trembling. Well, what does that mean? Okay. You know how in Psalm 91 it says a thousand will fall on one side and ten thousand on your right hand? Okay. Every day I turn on the news that if it's not the Scooter Libby indictment and it's Harriet Myers, it's bird flu. Y'all look out, bird flu's coming. Now it ain't even, if it turns into a human strain, millions are going to, pandemic, 30 million people are going to die. Has it? No, not yet, but they're, boy, they're hoping. Right? Any news channel, they're hoping. But let's say it does turn into that. Let's say, how many, how many kids are at Malden High? Students that teach, about a thousand? 2,300. You're in school, go, that's good that there's more than that, so that way you don't have to die. A thousand people at Malden died of bird flu. that freak you out? A little fear and trembling going on there, isn't there? Right? And then over at Riverside, where I live, 10,000 people died of bird flu. Would there be fear and trembling in this town? Would you be in the middle of it? We're in the middle of it right now. If you turn on the news, they're already scared of it. Now, how do you word out or work out your own salvation? You go to school and a thousand kids died or teachers... And then in your own neighborhood, in the three subdivisions surrounding it, 10,000 people just died. You want to work out your own salvation? Now you're born again. You've got the life of God on you. You want to work out your salvation? You want to be saved from bird flu? Don't be like, oh, this bird flu is going to get us. There's no inoculation. I don't know what to do. No, you want to work out your own salvation? You say, you know what? 
I'm born again. I got the Zoe, perpetual life of God. Bios don't matter. There's no disease or sickness to get on me because by Jesus' stripes I've already been healed. Nothing can come on me. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go out and lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover because I'm going to share some of my Zoe with other people. Not only am I not going to get sick, I'm going to go provide healing for other people. That's working out your own salvation. In the middle of fear and trembling. Not, oh, once saved, are we always saved? I don't know what to do. You want to be safe from bird? Now, would you always be safe from bird flu? No, because the next time bird flu came and you didn't get up there and say, by Jesus' stripes I've already been healed, I'm not taking this devil. You can't put that on me. You just go, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Guess what? You're not going to be safe from bird flu. You're going to end up dead. And then good Christian people are dead because of cancer or dead because of sickness and disease, getting killed in car accidents. Why? Because they didn't word out their own salvation even if there was fear and trembling around them. Nothing to do with being saved, talking about being born again and having the Zoe life of God on the inside of you. And when you understand that, of course, remember when we said the hope of His calling? That you're going to have confidence in your calling. You're going to have confidence in it. And when He said in Psalm 3, 3, He says, You're my glory and the lifter of my head. That man, you don't be slumping around and, oh, I don't know. If we're... No, you know what? He's the lifter of your head. Start acting like you are God the Son the same way Jesus is God the Son. Let's act like it, peoples. I know I'm preaching to the choir and this wasn't for anybody in this room. It, was, it had to be for somebody on CD, but hallelujah. <laughs> now, where was I? I have no idea. All right, Ephesians 1. Yeah, we're done with Titus. I guess we'll go over to Ephesians. I think we had enough of Titus. Yeah. Ephesians 1. Now, we, we kind of left off here last week on this Ephesians prayer. And we'll start. This is the prayer that the Holy Spirit prays with Paul. Paul said, I also pray this prayer. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit praying it for you. And so I have these handouts, right? And I've typed out the Ephesians prayer. And you can put your name in it and say where it says for you. says for me. And, and, and just pray this over yourself. And I'll tell you what, when you do, I've been praying it over myself for about 15 years. And wow, stuff just starts hooking up. And you start seeing stuff in the Word of God. And you start walking in it. And you know, if you don't know what to pray, pray this for yourself. And if you don't know what to pray for somebody else, the Holy Spirit's interceding on your behalf with it. Use this to pray for somebody else. Put their name in there. It's the Word of God. It's going to work. It's anointed. You don't know what to pray? Pray this. And then shut your mouth. Don't mess it up. I go, I don't know if that will work or not. Okay? Here it is in verse 17. That the Lord, or that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We talked about that for a long time last week. Wisdom means supreme intelligence and skill. Okay? And then it says this, that you may know, and that Greek word is know and experience, what is. You would know and experience. He doesn't want you to just know it. He wants you to experience it. Okay, why they didn't translate? Look, no matter what translation of the Bible you have, and it doesn't matter what commentaries you look at, you better look to the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of folks that just didn't have the light that you have, didn't have the light that the Holy Spirit had, and there's a lot of religious stuff that they would have to wade through when they translate stuff. It doesn't matter what translation it is. It doesn't matter what commentary you're looking at. Okay? You've got to look to God to teach you this stuff, really. And uh, it says that the anointing will come on you. You don't have any man, need of any man to teach you. Okay? I mean, don't look to man. Don't read. People say, well, what commentaries do you read? None. Those guys, I want to know what the Holy Spirit's telling me. I don't care what some guy thought in 1800. That you may know and experience. Then he wants you to know and experience three things the hope of his calling, which we just talked about. That's confidence, right? And then what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is and then the exceeding greatness of His power. Those are the three things that He wants you to know and experience in this prayer, that He's praying that you will know and experience those three things. And we talked about the hope of His calling already. I'm not going to go over it again. 
Get the CDs. Next one. Here's where we left off last week. What the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints is. Whose inheritance? No. No, no. Look, read it. His inheritance. Not ours. Now, well, Andrew, I thought we were talking about ours. Right. Did you know Jesus has an inheritance? In Romans 8, 16, and 17, it says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. If we're joint heirs, that means He's an heir too. And He has an inheritance. Where's His inheritance? Read it. Where's His inheritance? In who? In the saints. He's in you. The inheritance is in you. Look, when it says He's King of kings, if He didn't have us, He would just be King. And King of what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you're King. And we have a few angels that we created. In order to be King of kings, there had to be some kings. That's us. Lord of lords, He had to have some lords. That's us. His inheritance is in the saints. His inheritance. Look over in um, Revelation 5. I'll show you this. Revelation 5. Verse 10. And has made us unto our God kings and priests that we should reign on the earth. He made you a king and a priest so that you would reign on the earth. Not after you die. Right now. Right now. Look over in Romans 5.17. Jesus' inheritance is in us, in the saints. That's where He gets His inheritance. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You know what that word life is? Zoe. Imagine that. that we should, where do we reign? On the earth. How do we reign? In Zoe. You can only reign as a king when you understand your, the uh, life of God on the inside of you. Not bios, but Zoe. And let me throw this out. If Jesus' inheritance is... He gets His inheritance. We're going to talk about glory. Remember we all talked about how God gets glory? You can't give God glory unless you have some to give Him. Isn't that right? And it's not going, oh God, I give you glory. No, that's praise. And we're going to look at the 15 things of glory that I came up with. I came up with another one this week, but I'll work, I'll work it in. But, um, glory, right? When you don't have any, when you don't reign in life, when you don't reign on the earth as a king, guess what? You're ripping Jesus off of his inheritance. Shame on you. you be- well, I just don't know if riches, honor, and life is me. You're ripping Jesus off. Quit cheating him. That's his inheritance. When you reign, when you have riches, honor, and life, you get some glory that you could give him some glory. Now he's king of kings. He ain't king of beggars. He ain't king of sick folk. He's not the king of people in lack. He's the king of kings. Lord of lords. Are you getting it? And when you don't walk out your inheritance, you're cheating Jesus. 95 or 98% of the church is making him a pauper. I wouldn't want to be king of that ragamuffin bunch that he's got. That's his inheritance? What kind of ripoff is that? I'd be like, God, you shortchanged me. Look at this. I went through all that. He went to the cross. He came down. He gave up all that and became a man. Then walked it all out. Had to deal with temptation and all of us stupid people, right? And then he had to take on all the sin and all the sickness. Get beat on the cross. Then he had to go to hell for three days, beat hell, and then come back. For what? For a bunch of ragamuffins that can't pay their bills, that are sick all the time. They can't. I mean, you're. Oh, I don't know. You're ripping Jesus off of his inheritance. You can't give him glory unless you got some. Now, let's start with glory. The riches of the glory of His inheritance, where? In the... So if you ain't got no glory, you can't give Him no glory. Now, let's look at our little sheet, right? What's the very first thing? Wealth. Wealth. So don't be telling me you're giving God glory unless you're opening up your checkbook. 
Because if you and he don't ask you for all of it, he just asks you for the first fruits, the first ten percent off the top. That's all he asks you for to honor him. That gives him glory. We talked about that one last week. I'm not going to go into it again. But entourage is the next one. Listen, I got these from not just studying the Hebrew and the Greek and all the you know vines expository in the dictionary, but because I actually got to protect heads of state up at the Capitol in my job. So I got to see glory firsthand. Now, and these things depends on how much glory you have. How much wealth you have. If you don't have any wealth, you've got no glory. You don't have it. You can't, you can't even get into that club. If you're poor, you ain't got no glory. You can't give God none unless you have some wealth. The next one is entourage. Entourage. And we saw in Revelation 5 that there was a hundred million angels that were in God's entourage. Not to mention us, because we're like ambassadors and all that. That was his entourage. But I want to show you something in Hebrews. Hebrews 1. If the hundred million angel entourage, and it was also for Jesus, isn't that right? Because they were around the throne where Jesus was, singing, Worthy is the Lamb and Holy Holy. That was Jesus. And Jesus is the Son of God, and you're the Son of God. Don't you think maybe some of those angels are part of your entourage? Okay. Hebrews 1. We'll start in verse 12. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall not be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make my enemies my footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them that be the heirs of salvation? you got an entourage. You don't even know you have an entourage. Most of the time we're not even aware of it. They're helping you out. That's part of your glory. Commerce was the next one. Now, commerce is nothing more than creating and moving wealth. The U.S. is really good at creating and moving wealth. Saudi Arabia, they have wealth. They have no commerce. I saw a thing that their oil, the Saudi Arabian oil, is going to dry up in like 70 years. Okay, 70 years? Guess what? At the end of 70 years, since they didn't have any commerce, their wealth is going to dry up. They got no more glory. They're back to just being a sandbox. A giant kitty litter box. Because they have no commerce. Commerce is creating wealth and moving it. And we saw last week the part of your inheritance is that God said that He lays up the, the, uh, takes wealth from the sinner and gives it to the righteous or the just. He'll move wealth into your accounts. That's part of commerce. Part of commerce. And you know, what, you know what gives God glory is when you have wealth in your accounts and you move them into somebody else's. Because He has to give through people. Okay? Real quick on commerce. Man. Okay, Exodus. Exodus 11, real quick. This is the children of Israel. They were in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. They had nothing. Not only did they have nothing, everything that they owned was owned. They were owned. They're slaves. They got nothing. Nothing is theirs. In 11 verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Yet I will bring a plague more upon Pharaoh, more and more plague upon Pharaoh, and upon Egypt, and afterwards he'll let you go hence. And he shall let you go and surely thrust you out altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor, neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Now, in this country... A hundred years ago, we had slaves. I want you to put that in your mind. 
Because that's what these people were for 400 years, going to their owners, their masters. And they're saying, let me borrow your best jewelry. They weren't letting these people go. I mean, they were, you know, they're not cutting free their slave labor. And then they said, well, give me all your jewels and, you know, and that best outfit that you got. And I like those shoes too. Oh, and can I have the tea set? I like that heirloom tea set. And they gave it to them because they got favor with the Lord. The Lord gave them favor. Is God moving his commerce? He's moving wealth from somebody's account to another, from the sinner to the just. Now, they borrowed it, right? Did they ever pay it back? Well, you know what God did? He canceled the debt. And I've been believing this for me. I'm like, you know what, Father? You canceled their debt supernaturally. You can cancel mine. Amen. Forget about payment. I want you to cancel my debts. Amen. Cancel these puppies. Amen. Supernatural debt cancellation. Commerce. He did it in one day. Now, they had to wait 430 years. I hope I don't have to wait that long. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm confident, Lord, that I won't. Commerce. He moved it one day. One day. They went from nothing to being rich. Rich. Crazy rich. Heirloom stuff. You know when they made, remember when they made the golden calf? Remember when Aaron, how, you know, they had all that. he said, bring me all that gold that you all ripped off from the Egyptians, basically, and I'll make it into a golden calf. Well, you guys are stupider than stupid. God gives you all this wealth and you go make an idol out of it. Oops. So when God does it, you better remember where it came from. We saw that last week. Amen. Remember the prince of Tyrus? He got all this commerce. He got all this rich. Then he said, man, I'm God. I did it. Started taking credit for it. And then what? He lost it all. Lost it all. The next thing we saw was military power. Military power. Man, you ain't got no glory if you ain't got no military power. You know, you can have some wealth. That's nice. But if you really want some glory, you better have some military. You better back it up with something. Right? That's why no one likes the U.S. Because we're a superpower. Why? Because we got more glory. We got more missiles. We got more tanks. We got more military power. God's got more than that. We saw that last week. Jesus said, I'll call down 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. And then we saw that in Isaiah, one angel killed 185,000 folks just on one couple hour stretch in the middle of the night. Now he cut 72,000 times 185,000. He could have knocked 13 billion people in a couple hours with his military power. They didn't have 13, but we don't have 13 billion people. They certainly didn't back then. Military power. Now here's the other one that I thought of. We were reading it. Remember when Ezekiel, I mean Elisha and his servant came out? And, and, and they were surrounded by Syrians and he spilled a Starbucks and, yeah! and he said, Lord, open his eyes. And then they saw all of the chariots of fire and the angels of fire. But you know, before that, you know why the Syrians went there? Because somebody was telling on the king all his plans and the prophet was getting it. You know what that is? Intelligence. What's wisdom? Supreme intelligence. That's the next one on our list. Wisdom. So, while wisdom is, yes, you know how to do the right thing and the wrong thing and you're so smart, it's also you get to know everybody else's secrets. There's nothing that can be hidden from you. Intelligence. That gives you glory. When you've got a good intel community going for you and you know what the other guy's doing, that gives you glory. That's why that king was freaked out. They even said, he even knows what goes on in your bedchambers. Uh-oh. <laughs> glory, right? <laughs> know all the enemy's secrets. That's part of glory, having supreme intelligence. That's wisdom. The next one on here is promotion. Promotion. Turn to 1 Peter 5. And really when I say promotion, what I'm talking about is, does the guy have the juice to promote you? That's somebody who has glory, is if they have the juice to get you promoted. Right? And then when you, when you have glory, you have the juice to promote somebody else. 
And that's what gives God glory. Look at this, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. How? How do we do that? Read the next verse. Casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. You want to be humble? Cast all your cares. Why? Because if you're worrying about it, you're trying to figure out how to fix it. When you cast your care on God, you let Him do His job. That's being humble, believing God's smarter than you, and then walking that out. But then what He said? He'll exalt you. He'll promote you. And the next one is superiority. That you'll be superior. <gasps> we will? Yep. Turn to Daniel. We've got a little time to read this story. I love this story. We're really going to look at all three of these. and This story encompasses all three. Wisdom. Promotion. And superiority. Daniel 1. Now, y'all don't mind if we just read some Scripture, do you? I'll make it interesting, don't worry. Daniel 1, 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. That's modern-day Iraq. And unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. So here comes the Babylonians, and they whacked Jerusalem. Nothing left. Besiege it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. That's all the gold. There's a bunch of gold. Which he carried into the land of Shinar, unto the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure of the house of his God. And the king spake to Ashvez, this master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, three groups of people, and of the king's seed, and of the princes. So, all the captives, the children of Israel, and anybody from the king's seed, oh, and if they were noble princes, you know, their seed. Let's check them out and then look. It says, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding science, such as had the ability to stand in the king's palace, of whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, what they had, these are all kids about 14 years old, freshmen in high school. They had like the SAT to beat all SATs. But they all took a test. That's the only way they would have found out. These guys just didn't look and go, oh, you look smart. No, you look. What they did is they went and they said, well, you're good looking enough to stand in front of the king. You're good looking enough. And they took all that and then they sat down and they took a test. And then they found out, can we teach these guys? Can we make them wise men? So, look what happened. And then the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank. And then it says, so nourishing. In the Hebrew it says, so educating. So educating them for three years that at the end they might stand before the king. So he's feeding them, and then he's going to educate them. They went to like, you know, it wasn't prep school. They realized it was a three-year bachelor program because they didn't have Maymester, and there was no, you know, winterum, and they didn't have like summer off. So they went straight through. They're, they're giving them college 14 years old. All right. So, and he's feeding them. So, you know, and it was the king's meat and the king's wine. Now, you know, this wasn't like regular college food down at the dorm cafeteria or whatever. This was whatever the king was eating. They were eating pretty good stuff, lobster, filet mignon. King's wine, it wasn't no cheap stuff. It wasn't Ripple and Mad Dog. Okay, it was good stuff. Let's see what happened. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <clears throat> and unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave the names. Unto Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, remember under the Old Testament they had to walk out their salvation by obeying the law. 
So the only thing that he could have available to him was obey the law. You know, eating lobster and filet mignon, that ain't really kosher. So he says, I don't want to defile myself. That's not really, I, I, I want to keep myself pure before God. Now, when we look at this story, you're going to say, well, why did God pick Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? God didn't pick them. They picked God. It's available to everybody. They just happened to be the only four out of this whole bunch of group of folks that decided to go with God. Even if, it, I mean, was that scary? Yeah, he had to go tell this guy, I don't want to eat with the king's stuff. But God gave him favor. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who's appointed your meat and your drink. Why should he see your faces worse likening to the children that are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. He said, God, you know what, I love you, Daniel, but if I do that and you guys, you're not looking as good as the other ones that are eating, he said, the king's going to have my head on a platter. Then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let us give and give them, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. The word pulse is vegetables. So what he's saying is, hey, look, there's this new South Beach diet out. Just give it to us for ten days, and let's see how it works. It's the new fad diet. All right. Then let our countenances in verse 13 be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children, and eat the portion of the king's meat. And as you see, then deal with thy servants. So he consented to them for this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in the flesh than all the children that did eat the portion of the king's meat. Now, obviously, the South Beach diet wasn't working too good because they ate vegetables and got fatter. We had carrots and water and got fatter. Then the guys that are eating lobster, filet mignon, and having a lot of potato chips and dip and all that stuff that the king, all the good stuff that the king had, man, and Oreos, and, uh, they, and you got fatter on carrots and water. How'd that work? Man, that South Beach diet didn't make it too good. And uh, so look what happened in verse 15 or 16. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse, gave them vegetables. Now, how do you know? They really hated Daniel and these three cats. Okay, they're eating lobster and flaming yon. Now we're having carrots and water. Listen, you little suck-ups. Thanks for ruining it for the rest of us. Now, no, these guys are always looking to get them back. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow to the, uh, the idol and got thrown in the fire? It was these guys, their classmates, that ratted them out. They're, they're not bowing, king. Why? Because they remember that they lost their lobster and got stuck with carrots and water. And as for these four children in verse 17, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions of dreams. Now, at the end of the days, this is graduation. They graduated from college. Now, you see that? We went from like one verse to the other. Three, three years went by. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Graduation day. And so the king's talking to them. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. He said, I like them four. Bring them over here. And so they're having dinner at the king's table. And then look, they're, they're talking. And it says this in verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom, that's supreme intelligence, and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers that were in his realm. Superiority. Ten times better. Ten times better. 
These guys went to the same school. They went to the same class. They did the same stuff that the other ones did. They were just as smart. They passed. They probably all had 1100s on their SATs or more, around in that area, whatever the cutoff was. So they were all in that same, you know, honors class. Ten times better. Superiority. Now, how does that God give? How does that give God glory? Let's keep reading. I got a little time. Now, in the second year in chapter two of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, which his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. That ever happened to anybody? Your sleep break from you in the middle of the night? You had a dream, you woke up, and you, and you got the cold sweats, and man, I need a glass of milk or something. Man, my, you know. So here it is, three o'clock in the morning. His sleep break from him, and the king commanded, called all the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to show him his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now it's three o'clock in the morning. Everybody's testy. Right? Now now the king woke up. Now he's waking everybody else up. Yeah, you hate the pager going off at three in the morning. Come to the king's thing. He's got a dream he wants you to talk about. Uh, Again, the king with his dreams already with three o'clock in the morning. Enough. Here they come. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. So then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Um, tell thy servant the dream and we'll show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. And if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation, therefore you shall be cut in pieces and your houses will be made a dunghill. Well, this guy's a little upset, isn't he? Three o'clock in the morning, he don't know. He's like, You tell me the dream and you tell me the interpretation, I'm going to cut you up and then we're going to back the sewer system up into your basement. Until it comes out the top you know, level bedroom window. How do you like that? He says, but if you do show me the dream and the interpretation, you'll receive gifts of me and rewards and a great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation. And they answered again and said, "Uh, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation of it. And the king said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time. He's like, look guys, I know you're trying to buy time. You are stalling. Why? Because you know the thing is gone for me. But if you will not make the known unto me the dream, therefore... One decree is for you. You shall be prepared, lying in corrupt words you'll speak before me till the time be changed, until this thing, you know, what you'll do is you'll make up something, you're trying to buy time, smoke and mirrors, hey, look, a bunny rabbit, bright shiny ball, and then what? Oh, and now I've forgotten all about it. I know that's what you guys are trying to do to me. It's not going to work this time. Then he says, what? Therefore, tell me the dream, and I'll know that you can show me the interpretation of it. And then the Chaldeans said to before the king, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, they're getting testy, he's testy. There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king this matter. Therefore, no king, no lord, nor ruler that has asked such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean at any time. And it's a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. And for this cause, the king was very angry and he was very furious and he commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. How many know it's not a good day to be a professor of engineering at the University of Babylon? That guy's asleep. He wakes up at 7 o'clock in the morning and there's the king's guards ready to whack him. For what? Because the kooks over at the king's chamber couldn't tell him what they wanted to know? The guy was obviously very furious. And the decree went forth and that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. They show up at Daniel's door. Shadrach, they're over there, and they're like, hey, and Daniel's like, yeah, what's up, guys? And they're like, we're here to kill you. <laughs> what? Then Daniel answered the counsel with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the king's captain of the guard, which was sent forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Hit squad. They're going to go round up every professor and every guy that's in academia and every smart guy, and they just kill them. Kill them. 
And he answered and he said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is this decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Daniel's like, what is the king doing? So he tells him, 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, he's grouchy before he has his Pop-Tart and Starbucks. And so he just made this thing, and then it's too late now, it went downrange. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him the time. Now, he didn't go see the king. When I read this in the Hebrew, what he did is he went to the king's scheduler and made an appointment to see the king. And the guy said, well, next Friday's open. So then he went back, and it says, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went back to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions, that they would desire the mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men. So Daniel says, all right, I got an appointment next Friday. Then he goes back and he tells his three boys and then they get on their face and they start praying. They start praying. Verse 19 says, Then the secret was revealed unto Daniel in a night vision and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Now look, here's a prayer. You want to know secret stuff? Pray this prayer. Daniel prayed it and he got not only the dream, but he got the interpretation. Interpretation's easy, but he got the dream too. Want to know what the Powerball numbers are? Let's start praying this prayer. (laughs) Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changeth the times and the seasons. He removes kings and He sets up kings, and He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth in Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O my God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of Thee. For thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. If God did it for Daniel, who ain't born again, he'll do it for you. Amen. You want to know some secret stuff? You, I mean, you don't know an answer to a question? He'll tell it to you. Just get on your face and seek the mercies of the Lord. That's what these guys did. That's what they did. Did it for Daniel, he'll do it for you. Sure he will. Why not? Now, because we're almost out of, we are out of time, but I want to finish this up. If you flip over to verse 46 in chapter 2. Daniel tells the dream. He tells the interpretation, right? And just as he's getting done telling the interpretation, and he, and he ends it up, and he says, and that's the interpretation of it, and that's a sure thing, king. And in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. Who did he worship? Daniel. Did Daniel tell him? Well, we're going to read. See if Daniel told him to stand up, don't worship me, worship God. Or did Daniel just let this thing play out? And he worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer up an oblation and sweet odors to him. Now they're offering sacrifices to Daniel. And the king answered and said unto Daniel, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Seeing thou couldst reveal this secret, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon Then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And Daniel sat at the uh, the gate of the king. Did Daniel get glory? You got the king who's the supreme ruler of the entire planet at the time worshiping him, falling at his feet. I mean, that might have raised a few eyebrows with the other guys that Daniel just saved from getting killed so they can't be too mad at the guy. And not only that, he's burning incense to him. Then he says, your God's really great. I'm going to make you in charge of everything. Then what Daniel does? Now, see, God had the juice to promote Daniel. He gave Daniel juice to promote his buddies. The fix was in. Glory. Because they had promotion, they had superiority, and they had wisdom, along with wealth, right? Commerce, entourage. That's what glory is. When you see the word glory, when it's, turn to Psalm 3, and we'll finish with this. 
Psalm 3.3. This ought to start, when you see the word glory in your Bible, you ought to get a little more excited now that you know what it is. Psalm 3.3. But Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory. Whose glory? My glory. You should have glory, you bet. You should have wealth. You should have an entourage. You should have commerce. You should have wisdom, promotion, superiority. Absolutely. Because that's what gives God glory. And look what up. You are my glory and the lifter of mine head. Whenever you see the word glory, something ought to go off on the inside of you and you start realizing what glory really is. It's not like, oh, I give God glory. Give you all the glory. That God will be glorified. He's glorified when you have glory. Then you can give Him glory. When you start reigning as a king, then you're not ripping Jesus off of His inheritance. Then He gets glory. That's what he's talking about. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants you to know and experience that. It's your inheritance. And it's his inheritance. We're connected. That's why Jesus wants you to do good. When you do good, he does good. When your bank account gets big, his gets big. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Seal this word in our hearts, Father. Help us not let it, let it get ripped off. Help us not to forget it. Help us to realize the, uh, that we have the Zoe life of God on the inside of us, that we are God the Son just as Jesus is, that we should be reigning in, on the earth and in Zoe right now, right now, that we should, and that we would know and experience what the riches of your glory is. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.